Don't turn it off now. You need this stuff. Tampa Bay's Tam Talk Radio Network. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Car sent you. Where can you find the best tasting authentic Caribbean food in Tampa Bay? It's all at Island Vibes Caribbean Restaurant in downtown Largo. Island Vibes has delicious jerk chicken, fresh seafood, Caribbean soup, salads, sandwiches, and more. Don't miss happy hour from 4 p.m. to close and live entertainment on Friday nights. Check out Island Vibes Caribbean Restaurant at 351 West Bay Drive in Largo or call 727-240-4420. To check out their amazing Caribbean menu, visit Sweet islandvibes.com Hey guys, this is Robert from Nostalgic Rating Cars, and you know I dig stuff out of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a shop in town specializing in vintage, retro, mid-century collectibles. Everything from toys, games, pinball machines, video games, fashion items, TV lunch boxes, slot cars, models, and more. Bobby, what's the name of that store? The, the Cool shop. shop. Yes, located at 9265 Seminole Boulevard in Seminole, Florida. Give them a shout, 727-201-9489. TheCoolShop.com the Close. Grab onto something. Hey man, I'm sorry if I scared you. You're gonna have to do one hell of a lot more than that to scare me. Yeah, but looking all over for you, man. Didn't nobody tell you I was looking for you? Hey, I can't keep track of all you punks running around here backwards. Hey, you're supposed to be the fast thing in the valley, man, but that can't be your car. It must be your mama's car. I'm sort of embarrassed to be this close to you. Well, I'm not surprised driving a field car. Field car? What's a field car? Field car runs through the fields, drops cat all over the place to make the lettuce grow. That's pretty good. Hey, I like the color of your car there, man. What's that supposed to be? Sort of a cross between piss yellow and puke green, ain't it? Really? You call that a paint job, but it's pretty ugly. I bet you got to sneak up on the pumps just to get a little air in your tires. Well, at least I don't have to pull over to the side just to let a funeral go by, man. Oh, funny. You know what? Your car's uglier than I am. That didn't come out right. Come on, boy, let's go. Prove it. Why don't you go out and try to win yourself a few races? Then you come on back and I'll show you a few things. The tough looking girl you got with you, man. What are you doing? Trying to pick up a few extra bucks babysitting? Hey, dog, why don't you come on a ride with me? It's about 10 years. Now, leave her out of this. It's just between you and me.
really fast, isn't he? Yeah, but he's stupid. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. This is Daryl Starbird, the Bone Top King. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Running your computers in Google, Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, you can go to our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, which is located on our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Bobby, want to give out the... Uh, good evening, Bobby, I forgot to say. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and get out here. all the uh, social media... Yeah, Stop. we're on uh, we're on Facebook at Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Twitter at NRC on Air, YouTube, LinkedIn, Periscope at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Anyway, well, no, I should I should back up for a second and say that you know what on the website it's still in construction. So, uh, but nonetheless, if you but Google, you can't see the events, you can't see the <laughs> events. But if you Google Nostalgic Radio and Cars, the podcast page, you will be will be able to will be able to uh, pull up the uh, past shows and stuff. Now, as of last week, I counted them. We're 327 shows with uh, Lou Santiago last week, so that's pretty cool. So anyway, so here's the deal, guys. We've got a couple shows coming up this weekend. DuPont Cars and Coffee is this Saturday, okay? And uh, Moultrie, Georgia. If you guys are up to a nice uh, long drive up to Moultrie, Georgia, which uh, unfortunately I'm in the middle of a, of a uh, taking a, 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 a course, an insurance adjuster's course this week, so I won't be able to make it up there, although I normally try to get to uh, Moultrie. But that is... I think one of the best swap meets in the southeast. I mean, Moultrie, at least it's not that far to drive. And the cars that show up in Moultrie are, well, it's kind of hard to explain. You know, it's kind of funny how these southern boys, you know, the boys from uh, Georgia, Alabama, Carolinas, uh, Mississippi, Tennessee, Kentucky, and uh, those, those states, they don't consider Florida the South. So, and a lot of them just don't go to the Turkey Rod Run, which is the following weekend. Which is I say that big talks was doodly squat. Yeah. Well, anyway, but it's true. But anyway, uh, so a lot of guys don't show up for the uh, Turkey Rod Run anymore. And of course, here's a sad thing. You know, when you go to these swap meets nowadays, it's just, it's just there's just not a lot of really cool stuff there anymore. It's pretty much picked, and it's in the hands of collectors many of whom I know, and uh, we've been kind of hoarding this over the years. So until somebody uh, um, decides to shake loose of something, which I'm not sure anybody really is ready to yet, even though the market's actually kind of strong on a lot of vintage parts, you go to the Swap Me Nowadays, and it's pretty much just uh, reproduction stuff and, you know, run-of-the-mill stuff. It's really, really hard to find the rare stuff. The only way you're really going to shake out the rare stuff is if you happen to know people and you can maybe do some trading. So if this guy's got some hot rod Chevrolet stuff, some rare Mopar stuff or Ford stuff, you guys might be able to switch and swap back and forth, which is kind of what I've been doing. So, you know, because nobody wants to sell anything because, you know, when you sell something, you go, darn, I wish I hadn't sold it. Now I need it. Now i got to go buy it. Well, now i got to pay three times as much to get it back. But when you trade, it's kind of like the value is irrelevant. So if you're swapping out a set of, uh, and I'm just going to be, I'm going to take a wild shot here. Let's just say you're taking it, you're swapping out a set of LED heads for a set of, uh, you know, uh, very rare 427 tunnel port Ford heads or something like that, you know. And you, you, it's kind of e- equivalent in value. Somebody might do, you know, they might do a swap, you know. Uh, if you're talking about just regular, you know, big black LS6 heads or something like that versus a set of 429 Cobra Jet heads or big Cleveland heads or something like that or a set of 440 Magnum heads or something, eh, no big deal, kind of an even swap. You know, you start getting to the rare, rare, rare stuff, you know, then um, then, then, then you got to step up to the plate. For example, if you're looking for a rare set of Ram Air 4, uh, you know, uh, round port uh, Pontiac heads and a, and a corresponding intake manifold, 
you know, um, super duty parts, that is, uh, you're going to pay serious money for that stuff. So your HO and super duty stuff is going to be through the roof. If you're looking for 426 Hemi stuff, you know, 69, 68, 69, 70, 71, yeah, you're going to probably pay pretty serious money. If you're looking for Boss 429 stuff, you're definitely going to pay real money. So it's all, you know, same thing with the intake manifolds and certain carburetors and stuff. And I see this stuff, and it's still bringing crazy money. And, again, it's trading up at the uh, in the in the in the upper inner circles among collectors and stuff like that. So, but the thing about Moultrie is, is all these Southern boys seem to have a lot of this stash. And when you go to Moultrie, invariably you find a, a fair amount of good, cool stuff. You don't find it in Florida so much anymore. So, you know, the swap meets around here have actually gotten pretty lean. So, you know, it's the usual run of mill stuff, you know, the usual bow tie stuff, the usual 302, 351 stuff, you know, the usual, uh, you know, small block, uh, Chevrolet and maybe some occasional Mopar stuff, which you don't even find that much anymore. Some run-of-the-mill pioneer. You, in other words, you find run-of-the-mill stuff. You don't find any of the really, really rare stuff. You got to really prod. Same thing if you're into European stuff. If you're looking for some old Porsche stuff or or kind of rare uh, MG Twin Cam stuff or Austin Healy stuff or Jaguar stuff, um, hard to come by, you know. And then if you're uh, you know a notch or two above that, if you're looking for Ferrari and Lamborghini stuff, definitely, definitely going to have to uh, beat the bushes on that. And that stuff's definitely in the hands of collectors or restoration shops and stuff like that. But this past weekend, we were down in uh, in Miami. Well, actually, it's uh, Hallandale, so let's call that North Miami. Hallandale Beach. Yeah, yeah Hallandale Beach. And uh, we stayed at the Beachwalk Hotel, which was actually, and I didn't notice until I was standing in the lobby, it's actually Pinaferina designed. And, of course, if you're familiar with the name Pinaferina, Pinaferina designed many, many stunning Italian exotics, of which many of them were Ferraris. And... Um, and it's interesting because on um, North Miami Beach, I believe that's where they built, and we didn't get a chance to drive down there, but they built a Porsche-designed condominium complex. And uh, when we were down there for Festivals of Speed last year, we actually took a little drive up to North Miami Beach, and it was under construction. So I'm presuming that it's done now. And those condos are selling for in the multi, multi, multi millions. And if you buy one, uh, the developer throws in, naturally, a Porsche. Of your choice. Oh, well, that makes it all worth it then. Sure, within a certain budget, of course. This was the inaugural Festivals of Speed in Hallandale at the Diplomat Golf and Tennis Club. I said they're right. Sponsored by the Warren Henry Group, which, the Warren Henry Auto Group, okay? See, I'm the MC, so I have to kind of rehearse this. And it's funny how, you know, we had a little bit of an audio problem, so that it was kind of breaking up. So sometimes it didn't sound like I was saying the words or the uh, mentioning the, the sponsors correctly all the time, although I did make a, a good point to do that. and um, But we did meet a lot of uh, new people, and we met some people that we had met at uh, previous events. And a big shout-out to George over there at uh, Fabulous Restorations because he had a couple cars after my own heart. One of his friends brought over a real-live Cobra, 427 car. He had a number of Corvettes. I am a huge fan of mid-year Corvettes because I like those cars, 63, 4, 5, 6, and 7. And he had... Uh, a um, recreation of a 67 race car. He had a couple of mid-year, just standard roadsters over there, uh, somewhere between 65 and 67. He had a really nice L88 um, coupe that was there, 69, actually a very rare car, and he had uh, 69. He actually won an award. He had a really nice 69 Hugger Orange Chevelle factory four-speed uh, 396 car. And, uh, you know, to me, you know, the 68, 69, 70, 71, 72 Chevelles, kind of, you know, epitomized muscle cars, the GTOs of the time, the Torino Cobra Jets of the time, the B-Body Mopars, Roadrunners, and, and uh, GTXs and stuff. So, you know, from 68 to 72, you know, that's the era that I kind of grew up with. Many of my listeners are familiar with that car. Most guys 
you know, that's the car they aspired to own. Now, if you were a generation ahead of me, you know, the car that you always wanted to own was a, either a 57 Thunderbird or a 55, 56, 57 Chevrolet. That was that was the car. If you're uh, uh, somewhere in between, uh, the cars that you bought were probably your 61, 62, 63, uh, you know, big Pontiacs with the 421s in it, your 409 Chevrolets, your 406 and 427 Ford Galaxies, and, uh, and obviously your uh, 4, 413. That's what they had prior to 65. Your 413... Uh, uh, and I think it was a 426, your max wedge cars. So, you know, pretty cool stuff. Well, we had a, uh, a nice selection of cars down there. There was, uh, I mean, the oldest car that we had, I thought, was the Auburn. It was a 34 Auburn uh, sedan down there. That was an interesting car. Uh, if you were into Lamborghinis and Ferraris, we definitely had many, many, many of those, including a La Ferrari. Uh, there was a beautiful 71 or 72 Pantera there. Gorgeous car couple of Cobra kit cars, a slew of late model that's, uh, we call them the 197 series, so that would be 2005 to 2014 Mustangs, including a couple 2016 Mustangs were down there. There was a company that I interviewed the gentleman. I didn't know him that well at the time, but uh, he brought a boat there, and the boat was called Frausche. And apparently Frausche built boats since the turn of the century, so let's say the mid 19 Shortly after World War One, I, I guess, and uh, they built boats built in Austria, and they have a connection with Porsche. They the new boats do okay, but during the, during that era, they built military vessels and they built recreational high end boats. That's what they built primarily. But so we're going to go take a break here real quick, and then what we're going to do, we're going to be back, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it. We got a special guest for you this evening. This gentleman did some pretty incredible stuff uh, in his day. He worked on many many cool classic and antique cars, some celebrity cars. And ultimately wound up in the insurance business. So, uh, hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Wedding Cars. We'll be right back. XCRB rules up. 930 in Los Angeles. This is 50,000 watt clear channel XCRB. Radio North America, Central Studios, Los Angeles. 1090 on your dial.
has kind of a unique feel, particularly when you're on the fairway. Okay, yes. now Amelia Island is similar, and um, and it's nice, and it's got a nice layout as well. It's got a nice feel to it, you know, because it's all right there. Right. You know, it's not like you have to turn around a corner and, and try to find stuff. So it's, it, they, they did a very good job. And of course, a big shout out to uh, Joe Sabatini, of course, of Festivals of Speed. And, um, and, and, and for giving me the opportunity to be one of the judges and working with Kenny, who's also one of the chief judges, and uh, Bobby, obviously, who takes care of the audio, and myself, the humble little MC. So, uh, but we had some pretty cool cars there. We did a number of in, in, interviews. And, and, and like I said, I talked a little bit about that Frosher boat and the new one that they have out now, which is a composite boat, very, very high end, very much like an Italian Riva. Beautiful boat. And uh, so uh, I think you have to go to Frosher USA, but I was pretty impressed with that. We talked to our friend uh, Brett from uh, Prestige Imports. They had their Paganis there. They had their Lamborghinis there. They had the new Karma there, which was basically the Henry Fisker's uh, previous car, the Fisker, which now Karma, another company, bought out the rest of the tooling. And I think there were some rumors that um, that uh, Bob Lutz was involved in buying a handful of those and putting small block Chevrolets in them and making them you know, front-engine car. But anyway, there was pretty amazing stuff there, uh, a number of vendors there. And uh, definitely a lot of high-line luxury cars. The little uh, VIP party that they had uh, Saturday night was excellent. Food was excellent. Um, just everything about that event was actually pretty good. And we had a really decent turnout. And that is one of those events I think that will really, truly grow. And um, definitely check out our Facebook page because we've got a slew of pictures on our uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars Facebook page and our Gulfstream Motorsports Facebook page. Of course, another car that was really cool there was this uh, very rare racing version, 1966 Toyota 2000 GT. Pretty cool piece. Anyway, we're going to uh, uh, bring a guest on here in a few minutes. So I'll jibber-jabber for a minute or two. And then uh, I'll tell you a little bit about what I'm doing right now. Now, every, if, if you guys know, I obviously I buy and sell deal and wheel and deal and broker and vintage classic cars and parts. And I also do appraisals, pre-purchase inspections, inspections, and diminished values So on classic and antique cars. I cannot overemphasize how important that is. Well, um, one of the things that I, I, I don't have and I'm, I'm, and I'm doing right now is I was thinking about getting my all-lines insurance adjuster's license. Okay, So there, fortunately, there's a school here in town uh, that teaches that, an excellent uh, teacher. Um, today was the first day. It's a four-day course. It's from eight to six for four days in a row. It's intense, intense training. And um, so uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Because uh, an all-lines adjuster license just kind of complements my appraisal business. So that's one of the reasons why I'm doing that. So, And one of the things I want to kind of get into is catastrophe insurance adjusting. So at any rate, so uh, I'll tell you guys, I'll, I'll clue you guys in on that a little bit more as we progress and uh, let you know how that works out. should be exciting work, though. The travel is the intriguing part. You get to see all kinds of weird stuff. So looking forward to it. At any rate, don't touch the top. You tune into Nostalgic Winning Cars. I'll be right back in a second year or two.
you may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Please take another chance and let me, let me have another dance with you. Love me tender, love me dear, tell me you are mine. Out of the great southwest comes the sensational adventure of the notorious Reno Brothers and the girl they fought over. Starring Richard Egan as Vance Reno, who came back from the wars to claim his bride. Deborah Paget as Kathy, who loved one Reno brother, but married another. And introducing Elvis Presley as Clint Reno, who loved his brother, but also loved his brother's girl. I know you and Kathy used to be kind of fond of each other, but well, you ain't got no hard feelings against either one of us now, have you? Hard feelings? Me? Why, of course not. I hope to be that way, Vance. We're so much in love. Won't you even try and understand? Nobody asks why a woman falls in love and gets married. You do. You ask me with every look, and you've got no right to think I was faithless. Say you want your lover. Say you ain't laid awake every night by my side thinking of him. Wishing I was Vance. Wishing you'd waited for him and never married me. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Thank you, Miss Linda Vaughn. She's a sweetheart. I had the opportunity of dancing with her at SEMA many, many years ago, and the song, couldn't have picked a better song, Mustang Sally, so I thought that was pretty cool. But at any rate, all right, so we were talking about Festival of Speed and how really cool it is and the cars and the people and the personalities that you meet, and that's kind of one of the things that's really interesting about it, and you just never know the people that you're going to run into. You know, It's just one of those cool events. Well, we had the opportunity of uh, looking around and checking out some of the cars. And I met this very interesting gentleman. Our next guest, by the way, has a very interesting past. He started out at a very young age building custom cars from the New England area. Now, you, we always think of cool cars, custom cars, you know, definitely, you know, Detroit, obviously California, Chicago, a few places like that, and occasional cars out in New York. But you don't really think of Massachusetts, you know, New England as a place where really cool cars come from. Well, this gentleman built some pretty amazing cars out there. But he also built a couple celebrity cars, and one of them in particular was Elvis Presley's. And he had a relationship with uh, Mr. Elvis Presley. And I'm a big Elvis Presley fan, and I think pretty much everybody in America is a fan of the King. So I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Eddie Pierce. Eddie, are you there? Yes, I am, Bobby. Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. There's not much left for me to say after that. <laughs> well, no, of course well, there is. Now you can tell us the whole story. Well, good. As a child, maybe six, seven years old, my family, uh, their best friend was a customizer, and he had, at that time, a fairly new 51 Mercury, 
and he was cutting the roof on it, which they've done for the last 50-plus years. And I don't know if I liked watching him at that age cutting the roof or the smell of that lack of paint from those days, which I'm sure your listeners can remember that smell. And we went and watched day by day as he did the roof, and I was just a kid. But when he had finished it, he brought it by our house on weekends, and all the neighbors would gather around it. And when that fellow would leave, Polly Riga, that was his name, when he'd leave, my parents would say, God, that's the man, that's the greatest guy in the world, that's this or that. So that's when I knew I had to be that guy. So that's when my addiction started with automobiles. Or again, it was a smell of the paint, one of the two. Well, it's funny, but, um, it's funny you mentioned lacquer paint. It has kind of a sweet smell to it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a very addictive smell. And back in the day, some of your uh, listeners, more towards our age, possibly, remember not wearing masks when you painted it like the modern paint. You have to wear it. Mm-hmm. And we'd smell it and paint it and like it. So, yeah, I remember that at a young age. It's kind of like when you're building model airplanes with your uncle. You didn't know if you liked building the planes with the smell of the glue. You know? <laughs> <laughs> But that, that brought me into going to car shows with my dad when I was 12, 13, out of state. We'd have to drive down to Hartford, Connecticut for the big autoramas down there. They would go to Stamford, Maine to the drag racing. So I grew up doing this stuff. My dad was liked cars. He was a car guy and motorcycles, but he, he liked the cars. So I started fooling with his cars at a young age and taking the door handles off as a young teenager and nosing and decking them and stuff like that. And... Toward 16 years old, I had a little garage, and I would fix the neighbor's cars and take the rust out and, as I said, take the door handles off and nose and deck them and stuff like that. So I started very young and then got a real body shop job and learned how to really do better work. At that age, I wasn't very good. I was doing it, so I don't want your listeners to think that I was born that way. So I learned the hard way and suffered through learning how to build cars and started doing show cars because of liking the nose and decking and this or that. And one thing led to another, and about 17 years old, I was at a ISDA show and asked if I could put a car in. Because I was so young, they said, well, it would be subject to approval at the door when you bring it down on a Thursday for the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday show. So I brought it there. And not knowing if they'd accept me, and they looked at it, they said, yeah. Now, it was in primer. It wasn't painted, but it was all customized. And they said, sure, they let it in, and they gave me a prize, a nice big three-foot-tall trophy. So that was the beginning of my career doing that. Once you get handed that trophy up on stage, and that went on forever up in the Boston area, building cars. For everybody going to all the big shows in Boston, and one GTO that was fully customized as a full custom, but it was also a race car when it raced at New England Dragway, and many people in Florida probably heard of it up there if they're from the New England. It's called New England Dragway, actually, and so they would have heard of it from up that area. And they would advertise it on their loudspeaker that that custom car from the shows was in the pits, and people would go in to see it. And ISCA actually helped me with some expenses, and I took it to Canada for them and had it on display in Canada. So that was quite a trip from Boston to Canada and that. So then I had the opportunity to come to Florida, and that whole thing changed all over again. So now we're in Florida. And I came on vacation with a couple of other friends. They went back. I said, with this type of weather building these cars, I don't think there's any reason to ever go back, Eddie. So... I stayed here and continued on building 
just doing body work at first, but having that talent for custom cars, although you started off saying there wasn't a lot of it in New England as versus California, there was nothing going on down here in Florida back in the early 70s. That's when I got here. So I had my scrapbooks and showed everybody what I could do, so doors started opening early on because it wasn't that actually talented all up down here yet. It was called custom painting, or in those days we actually named it trick painting. So I was doing that, and it happened to be I was at a dealership right across from Palm Beach, and there was a Rolls-Royce uh, shop that did mostly Rolls-Royces over there for the clientele, and they were bringing all their sublet bodywork to the dealership I was at, and I was doing it because of the quality, I guess, the shop thought I could do for them and painting them, even though we had different painters and body men. And one day I was offered the opportunity to open a body shop with that Palm Beach facility. And doing that, I got to meet the rich and famous from just all walks of life over there. Some of the, the clients over there, Shrafts Candy Company, Reynolds Aluminum, Mrs. Woolworth that had a Rolls Royce, um, the Taboo on Worth Avenue. I did most of Worth Avenue's cars. And even met Dr. Gucci and did their staff's cars there. And it just went on and on with that. And after several years spent there, I opened my own business and called it Fast Eddie's because of the racing. And the, I had boats, fast boats with car motors in them. So it was Fast Eddie's. So my name became Fast Eddie in the probably early to mid-70s. So it's kind of traveled with me since, although I've kind of outgrown the name. Now people still remember that name. So that's pretty much gets us to me having the shop. And I had the opportunity once to go to a, a big show, and they had an Elvis Presley car there insured for quite a bit of money, but I could see it had some damages around it. And I said to the, the people that were displaying it, I said, why would you show a car like that? They said, well, we haven't found somebody we want to leave the car with. So I left with at that time married. I left with my wife and we were talking about it. I went home and I grabbed my scrapbooks and went back and did some salesman stuff. And about two, they called me, we talked. I didn't know where that would lead. And a few weeks later, they called me and they drove the car down from Memphis and left it with me for a couple of weeks. So that tied me into doing some body work in Elvis Presley's car, which I used the ad in the phone book that Fast Eddie's would take the same good care of your car as we did Elvis Presley's, which people just called. It was in the yellow pages. Whether they wanted the car fixed or not, they just wanted to know what my affiliation was with the Elvis car. So that was another one of the, the probably the greatest car of the celebrities that you mentioned of all the people that I knew and actually met those people. But doing Elvis, this guy was really a treat. And then at the particular time that I had it, my late mom was here and got to have pictures taken with it and everything else. So from Boston, she flew down for a vacation and it happened to be the time. So you can imagine the treat that was for uh, a mom to see Elvis Presley's car. Oh, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Now, you also had a, you have a connection with uh, George Barris. Unfortunately, he passed away here a year or so. But uh, tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, that was heartbreaking. And um, we all probably knew it. You know, George is, after seeing him, is, he lived an awful long time, bless his heart. Um, I, years and years ago, was in a Miami show. I did not have a car in this show. I was in a big World of Wheels show down at Miami Convention Center, and George Barris is there signing autographs. So I walked up, got his autograph and, of course, his pictures, and pictures with him, and just told him that 
a lot of your older listeners might remember that, the little books we used to sneak into school, and he was on the back page of those little car books that we'd put in our school books so we could read them while the teachers were talking, <laughs> always had an ad for George Barris on the back cover that if you sent away like a dollar or something, he'd send you a book on how to customize cards. Do you remember that yourself? Oh, Barney? yes, absolutely, absolutely, oh, okay. absolutely. So, of course, when I, I met him, I said that, and he just giggled, because I imagine a lot of people said that. But um, that was fine, and the following year, I had finished a new top, top, probably one of the last top big show cars that I was going to build in my that career before I fully retired from it. I took a new SEC Mercedes and made it a AMG wide body with four big offenders with big AMG wheels and tires lowered down, custom candy blue pearl on it, and finished off to really nice, and it was in the show. And it happened to be another one that George Barris was there at. So I, there was beautiful cars there, and I was just happy to be in the show and stuff, but I was lucky enough to win best in the class, which was nice, but then I won best paint. And best paint when you're inside of a big car show with gorgeous cars with those lights on them. And again, that was lacquer. Even though it was fading out, phasing out, I shouldn't say fading, phasing out, I still was able to get it and use it. And it gave the really deep, beautiful shine in those car shows. So when I got that award, and I had talked to Barris at that show, when I got that, he come up, shook my hand, walked over, and had pictures with my car, signed personal autographs about the car, and how great it was, and put that in writing. So we ended up, because of that, becoming a spec closer. So then I had the opportunity to go to California with an ex-girlfriend's son was playing in the Rose Bowl, and George had mentioned at that time, if you ever get to California, come to my studio. So I'm walking through the mall in California, don't know the name of the huge one, and there goes George Barris wearing his yellow famous star coat for star cars, and I've never been to California, and I recognized, of course, George, and I said, George, and he stopped, and I walked over there, and he said, what are you doing here? And I told him the story. He says, well, please come by to my studio while you're here. So the next morning, we went over to his studio, and we saw the real Batmobile, the one that just sold, well, several years ago, but recently, for over $4 million, I believe, and he had uh, Bo Derrick's car there, the, the barrister, he called it, he had the... Um, the uh, the Munster coach there, the real ones. He had all that stuff sitting in. The Green Hornet was sitting there. None of this stuff was in great shape. It had been used in the movies and stuff, but it was the real stuff, not the stuff that was probably out at the shows. It was the stuff that originally was built by him. And what a day that was there. And talking to him, taking pictures with him, going through that whole studio, and it was just amazing. And then... The, a year or two after that, up in Daytona, where they had the Turkey Rod Run with, you know, 5,000 cars. I'm sure you've heard of that many times, Bobby, up there or been to it. I um, was there with that same girl, and here he comes uh, with his wife, his late wife at that time, Shirley. And he gets out, and there's crowds all around him. And somehow or another, because he remembered that the girl I was with, a pretty blonde, and when she went up and said, Judge, I'm here with Fast Eddie. Of course, he remembered that name. Um, it stuck in his mind. So we hung with him that night, too. So, and, and a cute story well, on the George Barris. Down in, um, my, in, down in Fort Lauderdale, there was a huge auction, I believe, R&M. I, I want to say it was that. I hope I'm not wrong. But George was signing autographs there probably five, six years ago. And I'm with 
Mike Zero that sang Denise that when I was on hold that song was playing, and he's with me. He's the the original guy from the Randy and the Rainbows, and I'm with a Billy Reed from the Tokens that sings The Lion Sleeps Tonight. So we're walking around, and I come up, and George is sitting there. I said, George, I said, remember me? I'm Fast Eddie. Of course, I remember you. So I introduced him to the two guys, and George hollers to his staff around him, grab a camera. I want a picture of me with these guys. So George was charging $20 for autographs for himself, and he got up from the table and wanted autographs of the two people I was with. So it's kind of cute. I got in a few of them, but I was not the center of attraction as these two singers were to George. But it was kind of funny. So when you ask about George, that's, um, that's all my George stories, but they're pretty first firsthand. That's that. That's interesting. That's interesting. So let's go back to the early days, like in in New England, and 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 I I kind of said, you know, that it was. The, see, it's hard to envision, you know, uh, a real strong car culture in in uh, New England back in the day in the fifties and sixties. But you're telling me that there was. And what's interesting is that outside of everybody remembers, um, you know, uh, in Rhode Island, there what was it? Um, um, the the Ford guy. What was his name? I can't even think. Of it. it was Bob. Uh, oh. Tasca Ford. Tasca Ford. Okay, so so when we right exactly. So when we think of New England fast cars, we think of Tasca. However, you're you know there was a lot of stuff going on up there, and so why don't you elaborate a little bit on those because there's probably some pretty cool cars came out, and then of course like you said the New Hampshire Raceway up there or the New England Dragway, which is in New Hampshire, right? That was a big drag strip back in the day. Yeah, it still is. Uh, when I was still up there before I left in 71, they had nationals up there when Jungle Jim won it. Oh, man. And, um, with the funny car. And he would climb like, at the end, he won for the day and climbed the fence with a bottle of champagne and sprayed everybody in the audience. And you had mentioned before you went live with me, you were talking to your, your guest, and Linda Vaughn would be there and she'd go down in the little red wagon. She'd sit in the passenger seat as a wheel standard going down the quarter mile and this or that. So it was quite the area up there. And I can understand you not understanding it being as big. California was the ringleader of everything was done in California. Uh, New England was, it was good. It was very good, but it was nothing like California. So when you kind of compared to where it started in California, New England was nothing. But on the big scale of things, if you'd never been any other place, but where I grew up in New England, we were pretty good up there. We had a lot of things going on awful lot of car shows. I was outside of Boston, so not that your your um, listeners would know, but there was Suffolk Downs car shows and the auditoriums and Worcester Mass had them and Springfield Mass had them, and they were just all over the place up there uh, in the in the Boston area because it was so big, and it wasn't a far drive from actually where my home was, 30 or 40 miles. So I constantly did car shows up there, and... Uh, so that, and then my dad, as I said earlier, my dad took me to Hartford, Connecticut, and Joe Kais, I think if I pronounced it right, Joe Kiss the Christ, had, and I was only 12, 13 years old, but had huge car shows. And he had some of the most famous, he had the, and I'm going to say it wrong, so maybe your guests will tell you the right way to say it to your listeners, um, the Dialier or something, Bobby Darren car. Oh, that yeah. Days, it cost $200,000 or so. Today, that would be like, two million dollars and the fins on the back was red but fins on the back were higher than the roof of the car and i was like 12 years old or so when that was there so i remember seeing that there they just had all kinds of spectacular cars at hartford connecticut and they'd come from all over 
So although that's not the Boston area, it's still up in that New England, if you will, area type stuff. So there was a lot of stuff going on that really got me hooked at a young age that I knew that I had to somehow or another get involved with this. So no, that's, that's why it's been a passion. That's good that you're mentioning that because, see, what you're doing, because you talk about Hartford, Connecticut, and you're talking about Boston and, and of course, the racetracks and stuff like that. See, what you're doing now is you're giving us a reference. See, now, so now we can kind of geographically build a picture in our mind. Oh, okay, so that's, it's kind of a really cool car community up there, and you had a lot of stuff going on. It was New England, and and keep in mind, like you said, you're talking about Bobby Darren's car. That uh, that that was a pretty amazing car. In fact, I don't know who built that car. Was that car built by... Uh, by um, George Barris, or was that built by somebody else? No, that wasn't. That definitely wasn't a Barris car, and I don't know the builder. I would have it in all my information. I got a library and that stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't retain all this. I sometimes have to look a few things up, but it definitely wasn't George Barris. No, well, um, well, that but, car. Uh, that car recently, if I remember correctly, yeah. didn't that car recently show up at an auction someplace? Yes, it did. And it's funny that I thought of it to bring it up, and as I was saying it, I do remember that within the last year or so, people were sending me stuff that know I'm such a car guy. People, even if they're not car people, if they read an article of big interest, they still send it to me, even if they don't fully understand it, because they know I would. And somebody did send me that, so you're right. It has resurfaced, probably been 100% restored, but I can picture it perfectly, even though I, you know, I did take pictures of it. When I was a kid, I had a camera, and I still got the scrapbook with all those pictures from back in the <laughs> the late 59, 60, 61. I, and I still got all those pictures, and I look at those gorgeous chop-top cars. And at that time, I wouldn't know how to do that type of stuff. And I couldn't do any of it, but the closest I got was taking door handles off, nosing, and decking. But then as time went on, Bobby, down here, because I had never tried, built a lot of show cars, never chopped a roof in the car, so... I took a, I don't know if um, and if you might have ever seen it, but I took a fairly new Corvette uh, Stingray uh, in the 70s, and I cut the roof on it. I took three inches out of the roof and painted it purple with red pearl over the purple with a flame, ghost flame job. That way, when the sun lights on it, the gold flame job would show up underneath all the paint, but you wouldn't see it all the time. And that was a top isca radical custom because of a chopped roof and that traveled to tampa to miami to fort lauderdale i did all the shows around south florida well tampa is in south florida but florida way so and that that was for a while and that was sold after i was done showing it i sold it to a, a person in germany bought that car interesting interesting so that, talking about chop tops and wild cars i finally got to do one for myself after idolizing them, because that's, as you probably know, that's the hardest thing you can do to a car is chop the roof, the glass, make the windshield wipers work. It had power windows that worked properly, windshield wipers. And to have a a new Corvette with a chopped roof that looked like the factory built it, and because it wasn't chopped too much, three inches out of the windshield made it look like, of course, I'm tall. You wouldn't know that from the phone call, but I'm six foot two, so it was a little tough to get in and out of, but... It was sure a masterpiece going down the road that low. Fact is, um, some of the models that would stand next to it, it would only be up to their waist. It was so low. Wow. And I don't mean low it down to the ground like they lower cars with the wheels up inside of them. I mean low because the roof was low. Right, the roof line. What, uh, what was your first car? Well, the first car that ISCA let me in with, and it was a 55 Buick standard shift, which was very uncommon for a shift. 
and I fully customized it. And I had the roll pans on it, a Cadillac bullet taillights in it. I had a hood scoop on it back in those days. Now, this is back in the 66 or so, 1966, the hood scoop. I had side pipes, and you might not know, shrouded side pipes. That's where the front part by the front bumper is molded into the car, and then the chrome pipe runs down the rocker panel. So it's called shrouded leg pipes. They were inside and it just had a multitude of things on it. And again, as I had mentioned earlier, it was in black primer, but perfect black primer, and nice interior in it. And they allowed it in the show. And because I was young and they knew that, I feel that's why they gave me the beautiful trophy. And it wasn't a first-place trophy. It was called an unfinished class trophy. And to me, at, at 16 or 17, whatever I was, that to me was gold when I walked up on the stage because I stood there at trophy time on a Sunday night with my mom and my girlfriend at the time. My dad was working the night shift on a Sunday night and they called all these guys, went up and got beautiful metal flake, chop top cars and hot rods. They got these trophies and didn't matter to me. I was part of the show. And at the very end of this, we have a very special award tonight for a young fella that has a, a Buick over there. It's the un, unfinished class. And I stood there, and my mother said, go, that's you, that's you, get up there. So that it was quite a surprise to be that, that old in ISDA, that young, I shouldn't say. I should say, but to get up there and get a trophy. That's so. pretty amazing. Now, do you still have some of those trophies? Do you have lots of those pictures from back you, in the day? You know, it's ironic that you say this. No, that's that. My mother did send them down when I moved to Florida, and they stayed in the body shop and got destroyed with the paints and falling down and this or that. Then I built that Corvette and got another complete set of trophies, and they get discarded. But after that, I built my last, and I said that AMG wide body, mm -hmm. and won five best of the, not in my class, best of the whole show with it, and two best paints, and I said uh, Barris was involved with one. I still have those on display in my garage where I live now at the fairly new house, so the garage is spotless with them up on the wall with pictures on the wall and carpeting. And actually, maybe your listeners will laugh at this. I have a chandelier hanging over the show car that's in the garage now. So it's quite the garage, and I did save the last set of trophies of all the sets. Of my, I even had trophies in the old days for New England Dragway, for drag racing. They had trophies. So I, those, all of those are gone, but I did keep my last set knowing that those I'm retired, and those days are behind me. Wow. You got a pretty good legacy there. That's good. That's good. And then, of course, later you went into the insurance business, but I'm sure the thing about building the custom cars is probably the most gratifying time, you know, time period for you, you know, because it you can stand back and it's it's rewarding. And, of course, with the trophies and stuff, I'm sure that uh, that meant a lot to you. Yeah, it did. It opened a lot of doors, and um, I was kind of shy growing up. And when you have a gorgeous custom car or a fast car, no matter where you go with it, people want to talk to you and ask you questions and stuff. So it helped me grow a little bit from the shyness that I had as a child. And then getting into insurance was actually interesting because of I was in the car side of the insurance, automobile insurance, with the collisions and stuff. So I trained their folks with this car knowledge, and then I went on to several management promotion positions. And uh, so that was interesting because I would get calls from out of state and stuff or valuations of Mercedes or customized cars that insured either we'd hit or insured had it and would have to be paid for. And it was very hard to satisfy that claim. 
and I could see that the body shops would be paid fairly because I understood what it took to fix them. So I had to do a lot of that, especially the Rolls Royces, and I helped with demolition of value. Did all that stuff that they're very smart employees but didn't know that car background that I had, although they were extremely smart. So I always had that. So that body shop stuff, as interesting as it was, it was also interesting in my rest of my career in the insurance-wise because every day was automobiles. So when you can get a career of cars every day, five days a week, that's not a bad thing either. Never mind fixing them, that was a career. Now working with shops that are fixing them and stuff was a, a nice way to go too. So I've been fortunate. And then after I left insurance, I retired early with a, they kind of gave me a parachute to retire. I opened my own consulting business, which did um, consulting with body shops, but also did demolition of value, pre-purchase inspections, and uh, I did appraisals. I am certified actually internationally to do appraisals anywhere on values of any types of cars. And so I've had another career, so I've had three car careers which I know that's what your radio is about. Eddie, we're, we're just about out of time. We're up against the clock here. I want to thank you very much for coming on the radio show. We're definitely having to get you on again sometime. I want to thank my special guest this evening, Eddie Pierce. He's out of South Florida, a really cool cat that I met at Festivals of Speed this weekend. Check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Tell your friends to tune in every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. for the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports here on the Tantalk Radio Network, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, check out our YouTube channels, and hopefully I'll see you at some of the car shows DuPont Registry this weekend. Eddie, again, thank you very much for coming on the show this evening. Be sure to check out the Festival Speed website. In the meantime, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen.